0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. Today is Tuesday, January 31st. Amanda Borchel-Dan here, joined by our editor, David Horowitz, and diplomatic correspondent, Lazer Behrman. Hello to you both.
1: Hi, Amanda. Good morning.
0: U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken is now in Israel. We'll discuss the dueling narratives of his meeting with Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. What could this visit, this fraught week, do to kickstart cooperation with the Palestinians, and much more. But first... A short pause. And we're back. David, last night, Blinken and Netanyahu conducted what appeared to me to be a fascinating chess game-like dance of a conversation in which each was attempting to spin the other to his main topic. Blinken, it seems, wanted to drill down on the idea of potentially dangerous judicial overhauls looming here in Israel. And Netanyahu wanted to take it most definitely international and talk about his comfortable anti-Iran rhetoric. How did you see the meeting?
1: Uh, I thought it was uh, quite remarkable. And when I say it, I mean the final minutes of uh, Blinken's remarks. Netanyahu spoke first, then Blinken, and Netanyahu tried to preempt, uh, obviously they'd been talking uh, about this privately. Netanyahu tried to preempt uh, American expressed concern about the well-being of Israeli democracy in the light of this radical judicial overhaul package. And, uh, assured Blinken that Israel is a democracy. We're two democracies, shared values, et cetera. You know, I, I don't know how it always works diplomatically, but broadly speaking, each side in an, in an allied relationship knows what the other is going to say ahead of time. Um, so I'm assuming that Netanyahu knew what was coming. I thought it was really interesting. I think Blinken speeded up, if you go, if you listen to the pace of his remarks. He has this sentence where he talks about principles that uh, underpin democracy, you know, minority rights and the rule of law and uh, a whole list of things. He rushed through them as though, look, I've got to say this and it's really important. I don't know. There was something psychological going on there. It's very dramatic that the Secretary of State of Israel's most important ally is basically saying, I'm worried. That the principle at the core of our partnership, which is that we have shared not just interests but values, I 'm worried about this. we've never been in a situation where where the Prime Minister, of the State of Israel is having publicly to uh, hear concern and deny things that go to the essence of, <laughs> of what Israel is. you know is this country no longer going to be a democracy? It was a warning. It was very diplomatically couched. there were no threats, but it was a, it was a, a passage in which. Our vital ally said, basically, it seems to me, that our relationship was was founded on certain principles, including that you're a democracy. Uh, and left unsaid was, and if you're not, <laughs> there are going to be consequences. Not because we want to punish you, but because we won't share the same values anymore. I think it's also very interesting that that Blinken, Blinken advised Netanyahu how to carry out a, a reform, if a reform as opposed to a, a neutering is what is uh, uh, in Netanyahu's interests, he basically said, you know, you, you have to do these things by, con- by consensus. Uh, otherwise, it's not going to stick. I mean, he actually said that. This is, again, the, the foreign minister of the United States, the secretary of state, telling the prime minister how to run his domestic policy, um, how to ensure that his citizens feel that they are represented, again, reflecting that what might be seen as an internal Israeli affair has tremendous significance for its partners if it goes to the root of what Israel stands for.
0: Laser also during Blinken's meeting with Bibi, he, in a way, it seemed to me, urged Israel to expand its military support for Kiev. He said, I'll quote, Russia's ongoing atrocities only underscore the importance of providing support for all of Ukraine's needs, humanitarian, economic, and security. So obviously, Israel has already provided the first two, but Blinken also mentioned something similar in a meeting with Foreign Minister Eli Cohen. So I just wonder, is it possible that Israel is even considering providing security support to Ukraine?
2: I'd be surprised if Israel was um, actually going to take that that step, which is a pretty drastic step and and would be out of line with Israeli policy and what Israeli policymakers, including Netanyahu, has said. You know, if we remember, and we've spoken about this, that during the Bennett-Lapid government, and Netanyahu never said anything nice about them, he said that their approach toward the conflict was prudent. Um, So it would be very surprising if indeed Israel was about to make a change there. Um, We know that obviously the United States is leading the West in providing um, arms, and those arms are getting more and more significant with the introduction of Western uh, supply tanks into Ukraine. So certainly the U.S. Secretary of State, wherever he goes, um, has to call for expanded support. And I think there are things that the U.S. would want Israel to do, which would be uh, not quite um, you know, what the West is providing, but maybe some more radar systems and defensive systems and things like that. Um, but I think we're still not there. Um, but it does seem that there are some changes in Israeli policy, at least publicly, um, in their posture toward Kiev. We have um, Foreign Minister Eli Cohen, who is going in the near future to Kiev, and, and that will be a significant, significant step. The fact that we have um, Israel's most senior minister to go, uh, during the war, and uh, the first Middle Eastern foreign minister to head over there. So that is certainly notable and says something about um, what the Netanyahu government wants to tell the world about its position on the war.
0: Laser, Blinken actually arrived to the region on Sunday with a first stop in Egypt, where he met with Egyptian President Abdel Fattah al Sisi. We know that Egypt is often instrumental in calming tensions in the Gaza Strip, but I wonder, do you think that the U.S. sees Egypt as playing a potentially larger role in brokering what is now an increasingly armed conflict in the West Bank as well?
2: Yeah, that was certainly something that um, that Blinken brought up in his meetings with uh, President Sisi and with Foreign Minister Shukri. I don't think it was the central piece of what they spoke about. It certainly didn't seem that from the readouts of the meetings and from their public statements i mean in every country he the us secretary of state has to deal with uh, the most pressing issues for that country so for egypt it's dealing with the with the fallout of the russia ukraine war in terms of its food supply um the tensions in the war in libya um the dam on the nile river so those are the, some things they talked about and the focus there you know if if david was talking about shaking his, shaking his finger at 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 Netanyahu over Israeli democracy. He also uh, spoke extensively on uh, human rights prisoners in Egypt. And and that was something that he focused on there as well. Obviously, you know, uh, no one thinks Egypt is a democracy, but um, America is pressing them on human rights concerns. And that's certainly something that's not going to sit well. Um, in the in the CC government, that's something that um, is creating tensions between the Biden administration and and American allies in the Middle East. Um, there was an interesting statement that someone from the foreign ministry said to me, and this also came out in the readout of the Cohen Blinken meeting, is that Cohen and Blinken spoke about the effect of the Abram Accords on Israel's relationship with Jordan and with Egypt, and I thought that was notable. And, um, I think obviously in the in Israeli interest, but also the American interest to make sure that they are, um, deepening this relationship and making it. Um, So it's a little bit less cold than it's been in the past. Um, There's certainly economic and especially energy interest where the two, where Egypt and Israel line up. So I think um, that will be a a vector which uh, the U.S. will help Israel push
0: as well. Which may explain Netanyahu's surprise visit to Jordan last week, perhaps. Who knows? Okay, we'll go to a short break now. I got married this Monday in the middle of a war.
1: You are not a soldier anymore. You are 50 years old. What is the matter with you? It's like a couple of kilometers from here. Like, my friend has a 4x4. Let's just go cut across the fields and go get him. Israel Stories. Wartime Diaries. Voices that try to capture slivers of life right now.
2: And he told me, take with you a sleeping bag and a tent and just go. I texted him, on, like, after I was told that he was killed. From their eyes, I was a traitor.
0: Everybody needs their, like, blankie their teddy bear, something to make them feel safe.
2: I'm just another grandfather looking after his
1: grandchild while his son is off at war.
0: These children of Hamas
2: now will be the killer of my children. I desperately wanted to talk about sex during my eulogy for Ido.
1: Everyone has to choose to be optimistic because we don't have room for pessimism. Check
2: out Israel's story wherever
1: you get your podcasts.
0: And we're back. David, back to you. Yesterday in the Knesset, in a resounding 89-8 vote, a bill to revoke the Israeli citizenship or residency of terror convicts who received financial support for their acts from the Palestinian Authority passed its first reading. And at the same time, National Security Minister Itamar Ben-Gvir said that he would advance legislation allowing Israel to impose the death penalty for certain terror Fences, do you see either of these as measures that I don't know possibly could move away from Israel's founding ethos? Uh,
1: well, they're two, you know, very interesting pieces of legislation. Um, not sure that that the death penalty one, in anything like the form that it's beginning its journey, will become law. But as you rightly say, you know, overwhelming support across uh, much of the Knesset for the. Uh, revocation of citizenship suggests that that uh, first reading may and in- indeed lead to a second and third reading and it becoming law countering israel 's foundational principles look on on you know, if you're, if you 're somebody who 's trying to kill Israelis despite the fact that you are an Israeli citizen if you are then taking money from the Palestinian authority for uh, some kind of reward or subsidy for your actions, you plainly do not throw in your lot uh, with the nation of which you have citizenship. And that's why there is quite widespread support for that. The, the idea that that somehow counters Israel's foundational principles, I don't think so. Uh, the death penalty is a whole different uh, question, I think. Uh, there's something... Powerfully symbolic about um, Israel having imposed the death penalty and carried it out in the case of uh, of Eichmann, you know, one of the key architects of the Final Solution. Uh, there was another case around the foundation of the state, but we don't use the death penalty. It, it is available uh, under certain circumstances. I don't know about countering Israel's foundational principles. You know, the key foundational principle, I suppose, of any country is you know the well-being of its people and keeping its people safe and alive. And I think if there was a, a wide sense that uh, having this uh, penalty, this option, more widely available on the books, would bolster Israel's security, uh, it would be more widely supported. I don't think that that's the case, and I suspect it won't. It won't pass partly because of that, because the assessment—I uh, mean, you, you can take this to ridiculous uh, proportions, and, and people have, you know, to ridicule the notion of seeking the death penalty against you know suicide bombers, for example, right? manifestly somebody who is going to, to try and carry out the suicide bombing is not going to be deterred by the prospect of being put to death if they're, if they're caught. Right, they're, They've crossed that line long ago. But I, I don't think it can be dismissed. And I say that as someone who does not support the death penalty in principle. You know, if it was convincing uh, to, to a wide majority of Knesset members, uh, if the security services weighed in, uh, that this would genuinely save people's lives, uh, I think there would be more support for it. It, it appears to me that that's not the
0: case. One point about the revocation of citizenship is that obviously we're targeting only Palestinians in this uh, law. Does that bother you at all?
1: Well, I'm not sure. I don't know the wording of the law. And we certainly don't know the precise wording because it's only at the first reading level. It goes back to committee, etc. Et I'm not sure how the final w- w- wording would end up. Uh, the fact is, I don't know of uh, Jewish terrorists who are being subsidized by the Palestinian Authority. So it might be that the wording is indeed th- the way you put it. Lazy, you have some wisdom, you know, by all means.
2: No, I just want to add another thing. If we're talking about, you know, that these laws are directed at Palestinian terrorists, clearly, there are Jewish terrorists, and if indeed there is a death penalty for terrorism, you might find yourself in a situation where the Jewish state has to kill uh, a Jew, even though he's a terrorist. And that goes, if you're talking about core principles of the state, that seems to be one of the underlying unspoken things that Jews don't kill Jews. And that's why that Altalena incident is so resident throughout uh, Jewish history. And Yigal Amir's killing of, of Yitzhak Rabin, that is something that is really a red line that Israeli society tries not to cross.
0: Okay, Lazar, David, thank you both for that. Now, for the past several weeks, the Times of Israel has played host to an animated series called Whispered in Gaza. I know we've gotten amazing response, but David, we've just released the final installment. So could you remind our listeners what this is and where they can find it on the site?
1: Yeah. It's, first of all, it's easy to find on the site. Just you know, go look for the, for the words uh, whispered in Gaza. There there were three instalments. There are 25 videos that may sound like, oh, I don't want to sleep. No, they're about two minutes each. Uh, some of them are even shorter. Um, material that was produced by a, a New York-based uh, NGO, um, and that was uh, basically interviews carried out with residents of Gaza in the course of 2022. Um, whose identities are protected, um, uh, among other means, by um, animating these videos. um, So if if anybody's seen uh, Waltz with Bashir, for example, they're kind of in that style, you know, rather beautifully animated. And they're ordinary Gazans talking about life under Hamas in Gaza. Um, And they're, you know, an unprecedented insight, I would say, into what it's like uh, the interviewees are courageous people. They want their stories told, uh, you know, and that's why they're, they're available. Uh, it's not easy to cover uh, Gaza for journalists. Israelis, uh, including Israeli journalists, are not allowed officially into Gaza. Uh, there are ways by which people with dual citizenships can sometimes go in, but it's very dangerous. We don't really know, much as we don't really know a great deal about you know, what's, what's unfolding. For example, in Iran, well, this is on our doorstep, and some of the realities of Gaza, we genuinely don't know Uh, um, via any kind of independent, credible reporting. And here you have 25 people who told their stories. Um, And these these little bite-sized animated excerpts of what they had to say are, like I say, an unprecedented insight, Uh, And they are stories that the Gazans themselves uh, want the world to hear so that people will better understand what they're grappling with uh, and maybe expedite a situation where they're not living under the extremely repressive uh, rule of the Hamas terrorist organization.
0: Listeners, check it out. David, Lazer, thank you for joining me today.
1: Thanks, Amanda. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. And thanks to our producer, Gilad Brownstein, and to Gili Amar for this this out-of-this-world music. You can find us daily wherever you find your podcasts. And on our mothership, timesofisrael.com. Like what you hear? Consider rating us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to spread the word. And be sure to check out our weekly feature, Times Will Tell, released every Friday. Until next time. Shalom.